0: Welcome back to another Impact Tonight another Impact, the of the Impact HHS Leadership. This episode 129. I'm your host ID3 for Isaac Drone Thursday night panelists are Sandy Roberts, Renee Logan, and Buddy Thornton. Buddy Thornton, please say hello
1: to the people. Good evening, everybody, and good evening to my esteemed panel mates.
0: And Renee Logan, please say hello to the people. Elder Renee Logan, please say hello to the people.
2: Hello and good evening, everyone, and I pray that you
0: all will have a very blessed and safe new year when it comes on. And Sandy Roberts, please say hello to the people.
2: Hello,
3: people, and I'm very honored to be here.
0: We are honored to have you all here. Listen, tonight is going to be heartbreaking if you need to grab a cleanage or if you need to pull over to the side while you're driving your car, and we totally understand. Tonight's topic is teen suicide and absenteeism. Suicide occurs when a person chooses to end his or her life, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. 2019, suicide was the second leading cause of death among children and adolescents ages 13 to 19, and the leading cause of death among 13-year-olds. It is the 10th leading cause of death among all Americans. Suicide is a serious public health problem among all age groups. In 2018, suicide was the second leading cause of death among 10 to 24-year-olds. Youth suicidal addictions, attempts, and completions are on the rise. I repeat, they are on the rise. The 2019 Youth Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System results show that 18.8% of high school students seriously considered attempting suicide and 8.9% attempted suicide. The cost of suicide attempts in the United States in 2019 was estimated to be over $20 billion. Risk factors associated with suicide among adolescents include a family history, of depression or even suicide loss of a parent to death or divorce or separation physical or sexual abuse lack of those necessary support systems and those support networks and those feelings of isolation and even bullying Tonight, when I started to talk about this topic, I, I immediately went to some of my childhood heroes—Superman, um, and Wonder Woman, and Superwoman—and and they were people that that dealt with pressure. They dealt with pressure, they dealt with depression, and we all know that with Superman his, the thing that, that caused him to lose his power was kryptonite. I, I, I want to pull first from I want to pull first from Sandy Roberts. When I gave you this topic tonight, what was the first thing that hit your mind uh, when I gave you this topic?
3: The first thing that I thought of was that i was glad that we were going to talk about it because the only way that we're going to be able to have any power to help is by talking about it it's when we hide things or people hide things that it's dangerous Uh, i have worked with teenagers basically for the past 30 years and the amount of teens that were suicidal for the assorted reasons that you spoke of earlier um, is, is so true. And I, I've been fortunate to be able to be in a position to help uh, enlighten, train uh, train observers, train friends to be observers, to take action, uh, to not be afraid to take action. Uh, having somebody mad at you is way better than going to their funeral. And so I was very pleased that we're going to talk about this topic tonight. Thank you.
0: Well, no, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for the, those 30 years of working with our youth. Um, I want to ask that same question to Elder Renee Logan. Uh, and before I ask you this question, I, I just, you know, I was just thinking as Miss Roberts was talking, you know, when when superman got in trouble or when wonder woman got in trouble and we know these are not true characters right they're but still they're they're characters and and when um when when these characters got in trouble who who held their hands who gave them those words that they needed to hear to re-energize them to give them hope um but elder renee logan when when you saw this topic Come across your desk. What was the first thing that came to your heart, or to your mind, or to your spirit?
2: Thank you, um, Elder and Prophet Isaiah. It, even now, as we are getting into this, it's still uh, it's kind of a struggle for me emotionally. One is because I'm a survivor from uh, teenage attempted suicide, and two. Um, everybody's been grouped together in these statistics and there's a lot that needs to be separated to see where we're falling short at and stuff and so my heart has been pulled in this because our teenage our teenagers are supposed to be our next generation to run this but we have haven't people checking out too early so this is really something that is dear to my heart at this point because um they haven't even begun to to live, and they're and, oh, and they're already without hope. And so I'm gonna just leave it like that.
0: Mm, I understand. We we was talking. About, it, it was so heavy for me. It was so heavy for me, and I began to think about the, all those cutters, those 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 children, those adolescents that that cut themselves. Um, Buddy Thornton, I I talked about earlier the the family history of depression. I talked about the family history of suicide and and the loss of of parents, especially now due to COVID and other illnesses and and those separations like divorce and even the abuse, whether it was physical abuse or, or sexual abuse. and and that lack of effective support systems that that lack of support systems that are so necessary not just for building blocks in education but for emotional uh, emotional support right to reinforce a, a person's Psyche and and the battles with isolation, especially now during COVID nineteen, and and then even that, to make it, thinking of words, bullying. What came to your heart? What came to your mind when you first saw this topic?
1: The first thing that I thought of when you and I talked about this topic was Sandy Roberts. I've known Sandy for quite a while, and she's written extensively on this topic. And to me, she's a hidden gem. She's an expert about teen behavior, and and unfortunately, I hate to ever say anyone's an expert about teen suicide and teen self-harm, but, you know, we have to have those people. And she's absolutely right. Uh, When you and I discussed it, I said, we need to have a conversation about this. We need to share a conversation about this with the world because we're coming up on over two years of isolation, which is one of the biggest trigger points of this exact topic, and we need a gifted expert on the panel who is going to give us a foundation to move from. And. I can add perspective, I know Elder Logan can add perspective, but I just felt honored that I would be included in a conversation because the teens are God's gift to us for the future, and we have to find a way to protect them, and I believe that this topic is one of those shields that we can build and we can put up and we can use to protect them, but we have to be willing to not use it as a hidden topic it's got to be something that we're willing to take the hit we have to be willing to take the pain we have to be willing to shed the tears and get this topic out on the table
0: oh god I'm so glad you are on this podcast with us tonight um, elder Renee Logan and buddy Thornton as you two were speaking the first thing came to my mind was yeah I, I mentioned the right people Superman and Wonder Woman and Superwoman because they were known as heroes because of the lives that they saved. We need information. We need movements, we need people, we need policies to help save our, our sons and to save our, our daughters from the kryptonite of guilt, from the kryptonite of panic and anxiety and aggravation so that they can overcome these agitations. But we need people like Sandy Roberts that are persistent, that are in season and out of season, that are realistic to help our children help our, our children manage through these challenges and these issues that they are facing with that being said sandy roberts some of our students have been directly impacted by suicide I'm sure you know this, you've witnessed this, you've been in the field, you've experienced it. Some of them have provided care to to loved ones, to family members that have even attempted suicide. And so they heard their stories. They shared their experiences. They heard their voice so they know what it sounds like to go there okay I want to draw from your 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 grace because I, I feel like what you do is not just talent I feel you have to be graced for it. You have to be positioned for it. You have to be positioned for their disposition. And so what should what should parents and teachers be on the lookout for through your lens, through your perspective, through your vision, when they encounter students that may be attempting suicidal plans or even suicidal attempts and we want we want you to share with us we're going to listen please take your time and let us know what how do you see it through your lens and i would say countering or even looking out what the signs of what to look out for to counter uh, a a child's suicidal plans and attempts. That's that's my question for you.
3: Okay. Um, Really, the most important thing is to be willing to talk about it, because if we're not talking about it, we're keeping it in the closet, and we need to talk about it in order to prevent it. A a typical parent who's not aware um, when their child says something that includes some sort of, you know, they may say suicide, they may not, they, you know, but it's clear that that's what the conversation is from the, the child to the parent. And a typical parent response is, oh, don't talk about that you know that yeah you know don't do that don't talk about it blah 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 and it just it often gets a negative response that closes the conversation closes the access to someone who might be able to help there have been parents who have said to their child uh, don't embarrass the family that way there there's so many things that they're fearful of that they're they're fearful that they'll be you know why didn't you see it coming why didn't you do something about it don't embarrass the family and everything that often stops the conversation you have to be willing to have the conversation uh in school the the teachers and admin and, and staff have to be willing to watch for signs, and they need to have trusted people to talk to to find out what to do. There are <clears throat> there are multiple you know suicide resource organizations. Uh, I actually um, I'm not sure if it's an organization. Actually, there, there's a group that started putting together a, a day program. They do it every January uh, on suicide prevention. Uh, this uh, past year, this, this year that we're just about wrapping up, um, they actually did it <clears throat> basically online. And every school in Arizona and in some other states uh, were invited. And that to participate, and they had speakers. They had. Uh, I was part of the of the team that I started for that conference that took live calls uh, from you know from anyone who called in to the number. It could have been a parent. It could have been a student. And since it was online, the way it was, we were able to. You know handle a, a huge volume so i was on the on the team that was you know taking the calls that were coming in we were texting we were talking we were we were doing everything and more places need to do that they need to talk about it they you know i i'll, I'll say this you know 50 more times they need to take it out of the closet and talk about it it's not embarrassing. It shouldn't be seen as you're a bad parent if your child is suicidal. You're not bad, you know, in any anyway, If you're suicidal, talk to someone, get some help, get help for someone. I will be happy all day long if everybody is angry at me for talking about it or bringing someone in to talk to someone about it rather than going to their funeral and that you want to be mad at me for bringing the subject up that's fine and that go right ahead but I'm gonna bring it up we're gonna talk about it we're gonna get help and you know we we have instant you know crisis workers that are you know available so many different ways Almost every area has some type of a crisis hotline. I worked crisis hotlines. That was my first job in suicide, and that was working the crisis hotlines. And then being an outreach person who went to schools and talked about it. So I, I, I may have straight off what the original question was, but, but tell, me, tell me what no. you want to know next.
0: <laughs> no, you know, as, as you were talking, it, you know what I love about the conversation, what, what I love about this, this panel and the dialogue is, it, it's so realistic and it's so real that it pulls from me. And what did it pull from me? Uh, transparency. I was in the army. This was my, I had been in the army, I made it to my, the beginning of my second year. It was dead on, my second year in the army. And um, Thanksgiving time, and I I went to my hometown in Little Rock, Arkansas. And when I went there, I had a good time. But then, right before I left, they said, "Hey, you know, Isaiah, your dad is in the hospital. He had a he had a major heart attack." I rushed to the hospital. I saw him. And, and the last thing I told my dad when he was alive was, hey, the doctor said, and I lied to him. I said, the doctor said, he's are going to pull through. You're going to be okay. And he shook his head. Okay. And then, you know, I, I got on the road not knowing what was going to happen next. <laughs> not knowing. I got on the road, headed back to Fort Texas and as, when I hit Colleen, I called my well no it was Temple when I hit Temple Texas I called my grandmother and I said cause I was real close to my grandmother I said grandma hey how how did my dad How's my grandfather doing? cause my grandfather was in uh, he was a veteran he served in World War II he was a veteran right uh, and he he fought against the Nazis and they had freed the Jews and my grandmother told me when I called her just to check on my, on my dad, she said And my grandfather, she said Well, baby, your, your, your grandfather, he's okay He's all right But your daddy's dead And, you know, she's an older lady, right? And so, you know, just know uh, She just went straight forward I'm on the freeway going, you know 80 miles per hour And I'm swerving all over the place Right? And I, and I made it I made it to the post and, of course, I had to uh, you know, alert my, my higher-ups of what happened, and you know, they would watch me and then, next thing you know, I gotta knock at the door. And they said, this is a suicide watch, and I was like, why, what do you mean, why are you guys here knocking on my door, why is a suicide watch knocking on my door, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm hurt that my dad passed, I said, no, 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 your grandfather passed too. He he died right after your dad, and so we gotta put you on suicide watch, and we gotta we gotta get you set up some appointments to go see the chaplain because it's policy. And so as you were talking, I I, I felt what I felt back then. I felt that shame. I, I felt shame, and this was this was a death. Of people I love, men that I love, and when they loved me, I felt shame. And and the actions that were taking were, okay, because you're a soldier, we're gonna come in and we're gonna make sure that you're okay and that you're not struggling with this heavy burden that has been placed upon you. And as you were talking, it reminded me of the singers that I listened to during this time of my life. I listen to nothing but Three Doors Down. I'm listening to Kurt Cobain. I'm listening to uh, Curtis Cornell. I'm listening to Jimi Hendrix. I'm listening to Jimmy Morrison. All all of these guys died young. Some of them died from drug overdoses. Some of them died from suicide. But I was like in their vein. I was in their. I was in their spectrum. And so Suicidal thoughts are like a tidal wave Suicidal thoughts are like a whirlwind Are like a twister they, they are They are so overwhelming That if Support systems are not set in place We're in trouble Listen, let me go to the next panelist. I want to go to Elder Renee Logan And I want to ask her question, Uh, but before I do, Sandy Roberts, thank you so much and so much value to this podcast and everything that you're doing uh, in in your community and in the nation. And with that being said, Elder Renee, Logan, what do you got going on currently?
2: Thank you, um, Elder Isaiah. I am uh, getting prepared for surgery next month, but at the same time, there's some things that God has been dropping in my heart. So I know that um, they're about to be some fruition with them because I want to, I know when I grew up, was growing up, we used to have team posts, which would have been a safe place for the teenagers to come and be safe and place they could talk to someone without worrying about some things where it was supposed to be a safe place. Um and, and that's my concern now is where are the where are the true safe places for our youth today. They're they're looking for love in all the wrong places and they're getting caught up in stuff that's drawing them away from standards that they should have in their lives. So I would really love to be able to set up something that's gonna be a true um safe place, the safe chat room. I was just looking this up, too, and they were saying that the chat lines aren't as safe as the um, message boards. And the message boards are more monitored by uh, reliance in, 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 in uh, I, I really don't want to use the word qualified, but an adult that is trusted. So that the the message board is monitored, and and that is a big concern for me right now because I know back in the past um, you could put certain things in the computer to look up, and a lot of pornography or different things would would come up, and it wouldn't be what you were looking for. And so now I just I just need a place. Where they can come and look things up that are healthy. There's too much time on computers playing games that are helping them to be self-destructive instead of bringing them strength and hope. So that's where I am right now. Also starting my own business. So I've got, I got a lot of fires <laughs> going right now, you know. But I'm grateful God um, orders my steps and I know that everything will fall in place at the right time. Thank you, Brother Isaiah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were just talking the other day. You know, we would be talking for hours, you and I, and we were talking about the surge of COVID-19, right? And so it's like there's a spirit of death out there in the world. Out in the clouds, in the atmosphere, you name it, right? Yes. And... You know, for some people that don't believe it, they it's like they're living in a fantasy world. Cool. <laughs> I mean, especially with these combinations of mood swings and, and the fighting that you're seeing on social media, all this disruptive behavior. And then to add to all this disorder, people are are overusing substances and so they're abusing different substances, whether it be um uh, you know controlled substances illegal substances alcohol you name it with these types of discussions that we're having about suicide and about absenteeism right and i heard you talk about that having a safe place And I, I want to pull from you, and I, I want to pull from the other panelists too, as well. But, I, you know, whoever wants to go first, what, what are some of the, what, what can we do as educators? What can we do as leaders to start developing discussion boards, chat rooms that will create a safe place where students can interact, where adolescents can interact, where young people can uh, interact, especially at that age range where, that I was talking about, we were talking about in the very beginning.
2: Who wants
1: to take that question
0: first?
2: I'll, I'll, I'll go at it. The thing of it is, um, you first have to develop a relationship with that person to some degree, so, that that will bring about a safe place then there need to be some standard or some policies in place for making um safe chat rooms and message boards so that the monitoring can make sure that we we don't have people in there that are searching for victims and let me say this on that on that too, while the Holy Spirit is telling me. We think of suicide as a person just removing themselves from the world. But you gotta understand that suicide spirit will cause them to go out and do mass shootings and then turn on themselves in most cases. And a young person doing it is really not knowledgeable if they haven't been taught at home properly, about the good and the evil or the good and the bad. So even at home, there should be a safe place for many, but it's not, because we can see how the world is turning. But again, the first way it's going to start is you've gotta you got to build a, a, a relationship with them where they feel safe enough to talk to you. And then once, you, once we do that, then we can understand about doing the message boards because a lot of children are afraid to express themselves in any venue because of retaliation, because of what may happen at home. So, again, it's called keeping confidentiality in counseling. Counsel. And so you have to give them the place where they can be, know that what they say is confidence, and it's not gonna be sent back to the higher ups of the school or unless it's something that's detrimental to everyone. Again, suicide is not just that child, but suicidal thoughts may cause them to wanna to go out or her go out and try to do mass killings in the school. And then have that, that um, suicide by police. So, but we got to come up with some kind of standards or rules to help govern, to build our safe message boards and safe online chat. And with so much um, hacking going on nowadays, that's the other thing we've got to be um, careful with. Thank you.
0: Oh, no, We thank you. Who's next? Who want to take
3: the next? Uh, first off, uh, thank you. That was so well said and and so important and so true. That um, it's hard for them to know. It's hard for them to know who the trusted adults are, and sometimes people who you know basically would automatically be thought of as as a trusted adult. And that most of the time they may be, but sometimes they're not, and so it's it, it really creates some challenging some challenges um, i've i've been in situations where i've had um, youth dragging other youth into my room on on campus, and that saying no, talk to her. You can tell her anything, and I, I'm always so honored when they do that. And you know, it's 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 usually either they're suicidal or something's happened or they're in some sort of trouble. And so you know, I'm I'm honored to be in that trusted adult realm. And then there's so many, um, even in school settings, that you know, they they don't want to be the person that someone goes to because they you know they don't want to be responsible or they don't want to have to answer answer to anyone or questions like that. And I mean, to me, I I don't consider that even vaguely okay if, if there you know is reason to be worried about someone's you know staying safe from themselves or others. That so you know being on school campuses for a bunch of years. And that so I, I taught in the community college system. I, I just stopped doing it. I did that for eleven years, and part of it, six years of it was also um, the the college had a uh, charter high school, and so I taught at the high school. Uh, love those kids. Uh, so being able to be where. Even if you're the if you're the trusted adult, or you know who, you know who you can get to be the trusted adult, uh, just because they're in that position, uh, we can't always uh, we can't always say yes. You know they don't always say yes. Uh, sometimes their department head will go, oh, you can't talk about that. And uh, I was lucky where with the with the um, with the grade school the principal was a very 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 incredible guy and we could talk about anything anyone anyhow and that and he would you know, he called on me multiple times or I could take a kid to him and that directly the school counselor was wonderful uh, I, I remember one one student I wasn't on campus every single day but I remember a student calling me and that and I was at home and I wanted to get her into the counselor's office. The principal wasn't on campus at the moment. And I talked to her for about oh about twenty minutes while the school counselor was busy with someone else. And you know, we would just keep talking and she, you know, had left class and she was out walking around on the campus. And you know, finally the school counselor, you know, was free and I said, Okay, just walk in and hand her the phone and so she walked in, handed her the phone and I brought her up to date on what was going on and she took it from there. So having having a team person like that is is so critical to the individual campuses as to really being able to do something and that so many campuses, the, the higher ups, you know, they, don't want, they don't want to touch that subject with a 10-foot pole. Uh, they want to know, you know that the students are in their classrooms and et cetera, so. Uh, well, let me say
0: something. Let, let me say something quick because as you, as you were talking, let's change it up a little bit. I want to talk to you about uh, microaggressions. right? And how are microaggressions um connected I would say uh, concerning these behavior episodes that we we 've been talking about throughout this podcast and, and, and please let the listeners be aware of what microaggressions are before you start started and and how they're they 're affecting our different uh communities um when 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 I say that I mean, you know, I'm talking about socioeconomic status. I'm um, I'm talking about cultural diversities, you know, you know, do they affect those different um statuses differently? Or or is it is it even across the board? What are your thoughts? We want to listen to you, we want to hear what you gotta say. And speak your mind. Be candid.
1: Well, I I didn't jump in a couple of times there because number one, uh, the two ladies on the podcast were absolutely amazing, and I didn't want my uh, my emotions to get the better of me. So uh, the sharing has been incredible. Number one, uh, to answer your question, microaggressions uh, in the typical. Vernacular, the way we describe microaggressions, it's small, subtle, sometimes unintentional, sometimes intentional acts of discrimination uh, from one group, usually the majority against uh, minority figures or people who are not like them. Uh, sometimes it's a socioeconomic microaggression where people with more affluence are flaunting their status over people with less affluence. It doesn't matter. Any microaggression from a power dynamic. And then, you know, that happens whether we're in a COVID situation or not. And with COVID, it just gets expanded. And then we have to add the dynamic of the stress that COVID puts. And then we're talking about what's happening with children. And we're talking about what's happening in society in general with suicide, and the statistic of 1 in 11 children are, are attempting suicide, and and 2 out of 11 are thinking about suicide is just astronomical. When you consider only 2 out of 100 people are dying from COVID, what's the bigger pandemic? The bigger pandemic is suicide. It's, a, it's incredible. But here, we, we have to look at exactly what is causing this we have to really understand what's creating this phenomenon we have to understand how these children are viewing the world they have no filter they don't have any way to have an experiential basis to how to look at the world and they certainly don't have any way to compare the COVID situation and a pandemic to anything that they've ever experienced in their very short lives now they're being faced with looking at the people in their world, the people that they believe they should trust, the adults around them, and the adults are bickering, and the adults are all completely discombobulated. They, they, they're not giving them a solid message. So what they're getting is these mixed signals, and what it's creating in their mind is misdirected focus. And what happens when you take a child who has no filter, who has no experience, And you confuse them what happens is you give them no direction and they start feeling a sense of loss and what's the loss it's a loss of direction the one thing they look for from adults in their world is direction they have all the tools they they they're social animals they want to be out they want to have friends they want to succeed they want to do the things that they're supposed to do they want to go to school they want to learn they're not getting any direction and they're being isolated so they fall into a grief cycle now the normal grief cycle we know is denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance how are these children supposed to accept the outcome of this situation they actually fit a different grief cycle of shock and numbness yearning and searching, despair and disorganization, and they may never reach reorganization and recovery if they don't find a way out themselves because the adults in the room are not providing them with that as long as they're still bickering, as long as they're not giving them solid signals because that's what's happening. So what ends up happening is there's a different type of grief cycle that uh, psychologists call complicated grief. It's exaggerated grief. It starts to pile up on you. It's like a ton of bricks piling up on you, and it creates a pathological situation. And you can start to see the keys, and I'm sure Sandy could, could expand this much more than I can, but you start seeing some keys, like instead of talking in first person, they start talking in third person. They start talking in past tense phrasing as if they're either no longer there or they don't want to be there. They start falling into what is known as persistent complex bereavement disorder. They're so sad that they can't stop being sad. And that's when you start seeing self-destructive behavior and you start seeing what Elder Logan talking about, which is these mass events where kids are taking other people's lives and then killing themselves or, or giving themselves up to the police. It's a loss of self. Yes, it's denial and anger, but these kids are not going to bargain because they don't have any experience. They don't have any bargaining tools. Bargaining is completely off the table. So they skip straight from anger to depression, and then they dangle in depression, and they can't get out of depression. So what's their only out? Their only out is they have to shrink into social isolation. And what's the worst thing you can do to a child who's only desiring life is to be a social animal and to be engaged and to have friends and be part of society is to let them be in social isolation. And if you don't recognize that and pull them out of it, then they have what we would really like to call social death. They start seeing themselves as not being valuable. They start seeing that they have no reason to have hope. And once they lose hope and they adopt despair, It cycles back to that complicated grief cycle, and it just reverberates over and over and over again. And that's when you start seeing the self-harm and what you talked about, the cutting and the banging their head up against the wall and getting angry and hurting themselves. They're not angry at anybody else. They're angry at themselves. And why are they angry? It's not anger at anybody. It's anger at frustration. They don't have answers, and the adults in the room are not providing them with answers. The microaggressions are just the tip of the iceberg. The microaggressions are something that the lower socioeconomic people in the room have dealt with for decades. And they have more tools to deal with frustration and anger than people in the middle class and the upper classes. And the people in the middle class and upper classes are so busy bickering that they're not paying attention. I, would, I don't know what the statistics are. I didn't look at them. I didn't want to look at them because I was afraid to look at them to see where the suicides are coming from. But it's across the board. It doesn't matter what the statistics say. We've got to break these cycles, the suicidal cycle, where they skip bargaining and they're not asking for help other than through their actions, they're not verbalizing it. They're not bargaining. They're not, they, don't, or they don't have the tools. As long as they can't bargain, we, it's up to us to help them bargain. We have to reach into them and pull the bargaining out of them. And if we can't do that, we are going to lose so many in a generation that – we may be okay, but the next generation in the future is not going to be okay. That is not okay. Suicide is not okay. Suicide is the true pandemic that we're going through right now. COVID is bad. Suicide is far worse. Listen, as Buddy Thornton, Apostles Changing Pro, just
0: said, he has claimed it, we've only touched the chip on the iceberg. Listen, I want to... Oh, wow, that was amazing. I'm I'm not going to touch what was just said. I can't. Uh, I can't touch it. But I wanted to ask the question. I'm going to ask the panelists to be transparent. Okay? Because I believe what you're going to say, if you choose to say it, will be a survival guide for people i want to ask a question please share a personal experience that you have had with this topic tonight who wants to go first personal experience that you have had that's connected to the topic tonight. I'll go first.
1: Uh, the go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, uh, since I didn't share, because I, I was choking when I didn't want to, I was in tears. When I was in the Navy, like you were in the Army, uh, my best friend, his older brother, committed suicide, and I had to help him get through that episode. And when we went to his brother's funeral it was extremely excruciating and he he looked me right in the eye and he said you know that's exactly how i'm going to die and fast forward about eight years later he had gotten married to a a good friend that we both knew and then they went through a little bit of a contentious divorce and I ran into one of his nieces in Arizona a few years later, and I asked her how he was doing, and she said, oh, he committed suicide, and she told me when, and sure enough, eight years after his brother had committed suicide, he committed suicide the same way. This is a cyclical thing. Once it happens in a family, and no one says anything about it, and nobody does anything about it, it becomes more acceptable and it becomes more possible. And nobody did anything to stop it from happening. And I still am sad about that to this day.
0: Wow. Oh, uh, yes. wow. Um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. This is than me.
2: Um. My first story is that I had tried to commit suicide three times as a teenager because there was so much on me. Uh, oh, I no. have a, <laughs> I have a scar that reminds me of it. And um, wow. I was literally drowning in pain. And, and too much, stre- as a teenager, too much stress because of my family. And other things that were being that were going on, and the saddest part was that um, we used to have a grocery store called or a supermarket called Routes that was across from where I live. And a young man was so much in love with this girl, and everybody kept trying to tell him no, she not is, but she he caught her. Um, he caught her with another man and he drank Durano. Um, and it was so hard for the neighborhood for the community because I've never understood how could you love somebody so much so that you could drink Durano or even um, put a gun to your head be it an adult or a child but even in that the Bible tells us to train up a child in the way he should go and We're lacking in training our children how to hear God's voice and know it's him and for there to be standards set in there and how to to go through these highs and lows, how to deal with these spirits that are are around and how they they can attack themselves. to the child or the parent and not recognize it? This is why teen suicide is near and near to my heart because I know what I've gone through. And even as an adult later, that that tried to come back, and I had to fight really hard for my own life. And so that's why I can tell the young people today, don't do it, you haven't even uh, begun to live yet. And I know things look rough now but you don't know what's going to take place in the future for you. And again, like um, Sandy said and and Buddy, if there's no hope there, if we don't give them something to look forward to, help them to build up H-O-P-E in their lives, then it's like trying to drive a car with no engine and no gas. So, yeah, this is very dear to me. Thank you.
0: Who? Who's me?
3: I am. Thank you. My heart is absolutely touched by personal sharings. Thank you so much, and that for being vulnerable with us and for sharing. And that I think there's a moment that happens, probably. Uh, you know, if, if, if someone said, oh, I never thought about it, I, I probably would say, mm, yeah, right. And uh, I think there's a moment that we all have that life sucks so much that it's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I've been pretty lucky to have that be very, very minimal. But there are times that life just sucks and really just hanging in there and being able to go on and that you know you should we should we should win a prize <laughs> you know so we we should come up with you know with some type of a, a of a hanging in there prize and hanging in the positive way of staying and that not not in the um suicidal way and uh, we start talking about this we have to watch what we're saying and uh, that we don't use the words the wrong way and, uh, um, this is such a difficult topic, there's been so many people that as, you know, thinking about this, I, I remember different situations that have happened for people um, at law where, where there's been this type of loss, uh, it, it just, it extra breaks my heart when it's a youth. Um, a couple of years ago there, I, when I was teaching at the high school uh, you know when kids hang back at the end of the, of the class and you know they want to talk to you, and you, you you know it's not going to be good but you're not sure what it's going to be and so I had two girls and it was like at the end of the school day and they came in and wanted to talk to me and one of them wanted to know if I would help because their mother's sister's best friend's son had ended his life that morning and the family was for you know obviously just absolutely beside himself and they wanted to know if i would go help them of course i did and of course i did and it was it was so heartbreaking to be there in the, in the midst of this family's loss. And it was, I was blessed that I was able to be there to help them. And, you know, we need to look for both sides of stuff, you know, when, when someone has loss and needs, needs people, and, and the rest of when we're trying to prevent them from doing something. Uh, so it, it's one of those it, it's just one of those heavy topics and one of those things oh that it is. we need to know about it we, we need we need to know so we can do something to help right and that i've um,
0: oh wow yes um you know i'm i'm, I'm teary-eyed i am i am teary eyed i Um. i am drenched um i want to think. Uh, the panelists tonight For your carriage And I want to thank you For your heart You have all poured Your hearts out tonight uh, Our loss has been great And so we um, We encourage Those listeners To share this podcast Okay and listen to What Renee Logan said, "Listen to what Buddy Thornton said. Especially listen to what Sammy Roberts said. We are done for the night, and this was the Impact SKS Leadership Podcast. <laughs> Good night. God bless."